with the climate changing all around us, threatening our homes, threatening our way of life, threatening our ability to feed, to clothe ourselves, with the human waste stream seemingly ramping up its march to put plastic into every corner of our precious planet, you'd be forgiven for just wanting to run, just run to get away from all of it. But where would you go? There's nowhere really on the planet that is safe. However, that desire to run, it can be harnessed. It can be channeled into something powerful, inspiring, and something that will drive awareness and meaningful change. Tom Petruni is my podcast guest this week, and he is running. In fact, he's about to run, well, forever, to raise $500,000 for the Seabin Project and for Wild Places, and to raise awareness of not only the challenges that we face, but the solutions that are already there if only we lean into them. But first, we do need to keep the lights on, hear it better than yesterday. So, you're probably going to hear an ad. And if you do, thank you. You're helping us pay the bills. And when we get back here, you'll hear something good from Tom Petrani. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. People are quite scared to access that inner part of themselves that is only accessible when you're in a really, really challenging situation. And that's what ultra running is it puts you in these situations which are just so far beyond what you think you're capable of. And not only are you in these situations, but you you put yourself in them. Like you drive your car there or ride your bike and you enter the trail and then you're gone. You're miles away from where any ambulance can reach you. You're by yourself. It's raining. It's dark. Your headlamp runs out. You're like survival mechanism is all that you have. And what that allows you to do is access a part of you which is not really accessed in day-to-day life. That is surfer, environmentalist, entrepreneur and ultra-runner Tom Batruni. I'm Osher Ginsberg and this is Better Than Yesterday. Hello 
and welcome to Better Than Yesterday. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. This is a tri-weekly podcast that is here to make your day-to-day better than yesterday. Something that you hear on this show, and indeed every show, is guaranteed to make your day better than yesterday. We've been here since 2013, and we're here Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Mondays and Wednesdays, I'm here with a guest, and Fridays, I'm here with you. I'm Osher Ginsberg. I'm a, I'm a TV host. I'm an author. I'm a dad. I'm a stepdad. I'm a podcaster. I'm a, a live show uh, postponer. I'm a listen to my doctors and therapists kind of guy. I have alarms on my phone to make sure I don't miss taking my meds. I have alarms on my phone to make sure I don't forget to take out the bins. I've got alarms on my phone for a lot of shit. And you can always find me if you want to chat to me, send us your email at gmail.com. It's my email address. And uh, you can also find me on Instagram. And if you want to stay in touch at osherginsberg.com, you can just subscribe to the mailing list and I'll, uh, I'll keep you posted on the comings and goings of what's happening here at BTYHQ. You can also find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook. And speaking of those two places, thank you so much for the beautiful messages that, that you had about postponing the live shows. I'm actually supposed to, right now, as I'm recording this, I was supposed to be on a flight to Melbourne right now. And I am sitting here in my office uh, while Wolfie sleeps upstairs and um, I've had to do a meditation before recording this because I didn't want to be catching my breath from the the pain signals that are pushing into my body. And I've got a, probably the world's biggest ice pack shoved down my track pants. I'm just trying to be present to the sensation, which is, I'm not going to lie, is quite intense. But I'm slowly, slowly being able to inch myself away from it. I've been able to a little bit at a time downshift on the catastrophizing around the pain. And a lot of that is because I can see a pathway. Uh, There's a plan. There's a way for me to get from here to somewhere better. Some very clever people, some doctors and therapists and physios that are very, very clever have all looked me in the eye and gone, oh, no, 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 we'll be fine. You'll be okay. There's work to do, but you'll be okay. And I just have to trust them. I don't know how. It'll ever feel different, but they seem to be, oh, yeah, yeah, we've seen people like you before. There's a way around it. Then good. I'll just have to believe them and just trust them and because that's worked in the past. Just fucking trust the people <laughs> that are smarter than me. Um, yeah, it's not like the pain isn't intense. Um, it is, but I'm able to just a teeny tiny bit separate myself from it just a little bit every day. It's microns of a percent but we'll get there we will get there i'm sure of it oh unreal my neighbor's tradies have just kicked off on the back deck and that's fine so let me tell you about my guest today tom batruni is a surfer an environmentalist an entrepreneur and an ultra runner from sydney he's the co-founder of black store which is a responsible clothing and homeware store He is the head environmental technician and community advocate at the Seabin Project, which is fascinating. They have over 700 ocean cleanup bins installed across the planet, and we talk a fair bit about that and the waste stream that is getting into our oceans. Tom's an inspiring guy. I'm thrilled to have him on the show because he's able to articulate not only why we all need to give a shit about our waste stream ending up in the oceans and in our waterways, But also, he's able to talk about how running incredible distances, and I'm talking about 50, 80, 100 kilometers at a time, how doing that kind of running can just 
absolutely unlock superpower levels of ability inside each of us. Tom's putting all of the things that he's passionate about together into an enormous fundraising effort. In fact, from 7am on the 8th of April, it's Friday, Tom is going to run 10-kilometre loops of the Manly Dam. It's a pretty challenging trail run in the hills behind Manly Beach in Sydney. And as long as people keep donating, Tom is going to keep running. He's hoping to raise $500,000. The event is appropriately called Run Forever. Uh, There's a link to donate in the notes. And if you don't have a couple of bucks to throw him right now, after listening, you're probably going to want to throw a couple of bucks his way, certainly on Friday, that's for sure. So let's get inspired and let's get to know Tom Petrini. How are you going today, Tom? You good? I'm really well. How are you? What's up? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. It's been, um, I'm dealing with a few kind of weird uh, pain things with my hip, uh, but, you know, I'm kind of getting there. Um, but it's, quite, it's, it's, it's meaning that I'm, I'm using my brain a lot to try to focus as much as I can on other things. It seems to downregulate the pain. Um, so this is really helpful for me today. So I'm grateful for it. Tom, where in the world are we finding you today? You're finding me in beautiful freshwater on the northern beaches of Sydney. I stood up on a surfboard for the very first time ever at freshwater. That uh, holds a special place really? in my heart. Well, a lot of people say that freshwater is the birthplace of surfing in the world. It absolutely is. There's a statue of Jukahanamuko um, on the on the headland there at the Harbour Diggers, and uh, that is where the the, the first time uh, the Hawaiian uh, surfing team, I think, they were brought out before the Olympics, I think, and um, they put on an exhibition, and people stood on the sand Correct. and went. Well, that looks like a good thing to do on a Saturday. And uh, all these crazy boards that were like <laughs> telephone poles and took three guys to lift. Yeah. So where's your surfing career at now, Osher? Uh, nowhere. Uh, through the window uh, out of my office, I can see all of our surfboards, uh, like uh, Oki strapped against the shed because I've had a, a, a quite a fucked hip for the last few years. So I haven't actually been able to sit on a surfboard for quite a while and I, I miss it desperately. But we'll get there. Um, but as as Wolfie gets bigger, um, uh, that that's that the plan is like just mate, you got to get this rehab done because I want to get in the water uh, and I want to get him in the water. I want to get him enjoying the ocean. Do you get out in the ocean uh, with the little ones? I do for sure. I've got a three year old boy, Dion, uh, and yeah, I was lucky enough to be thrown in the ocean when I was very young by my parents, and I think it is the single most important thing that's ever happened in my life. It's, it's really um, dictated everything I do in my life, I think. How, how so? Tell, tell me about that because some people get, as, as a mate of mine who adores surfing, surfs every day, he's got a set of twins and got them on his mouth at the age of two, like kind of did not have a fun time and never stepped foot in the ocean again with him and it broke his heart. So what went on with your folks? How did they do it? I just remember they definitely tried to do it. Uh, my mum was really confident in the water. My dad couldn't even swim. Um, my dad's got a Lebanese background, so it just kind of was never in the culture of the family. Um, but my mum's family were, you know, really beachy, coastal kind of people. So she was the one that really kind of pushed it and tried to get me out there. But I did push back a little bit against her, as we do sometimes with our parents. Yeah. But then 
it was a couple of people at the local surf lifesaving club who I kind of idolised and they could kind of see what was going on and they got me right into it and started building my confidence. Um, and, and from there it grew from swimming, body surfing into surfing, surf photography, and then literally my whole life just snowballed from there into what it is now, which is freaking amazing. Well, I can understand why your dad wasn't so into it. And as well, like obviously I'm in the Mediterranean, unless the wind is really good, the surf isn't, there's no surf. It happens, surf happens for two hours and then it goes away. So the Med's like this kind of like a choppy lake sometimes. So it's like, ah, what's the big deal, son? Uh, It's not quite the colossal rips of, you know, uh, Australian beaches, which are uh, are pretty deadly at at the best of times. When the ocean becomes something less that you kind of go into on a picnic day once every while with your family and starts becoming something you are immersed in every day, what starts to happen, Tom? Uh, a lot starts to happen physically and a lot starts to happen mentally. Um, the physical, you know, are quite obvious. You, you start to kind of become really aware of your body and that happened with me at a young age. You know, being sore from doing exercise, um, I think surfing was the first time I ever experienced that. Um, and realising that sometimes, you know, it's good to be sore. There's, there's good sore and there's bad sore. Um, you're, you probably know all about that with your hip and, you know, yeah. before whatever went down with it might have been bad, so, but now with rehab it might be good. Um, so, yeah, there's the physical um, and there's a lot of confidence that comes from kind of knowing about your body and kind of feeling strong and powerful. And then there's the mental. And uh, the mental for me was surfing was the first thing that I was in something, the ocean, and I was made to feel absolutely minuscule. You know, most people that surf regularly will have experiences where they feel like they've, you know, almost kind of lost their life at one point. Um, Whether that's true or not, that's what you feel. Uh, And I had a few of those. I had run-ins with sharks. um, And I also had moments where I was like, wow, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm kind of in tune with the ocean, this huge thing, and we're kind of getting along really well. So, yeah, the mental and physical, um, yeah, lessons that you get from the ocean, which I'm so keen to pass on to my little boy. You, you mentioned something that I certainly find. Uh, once I started spending way more time in the ocean in my 20s, once I moved to Sydney and I was, you know, had access, I could walk to a beach, which I couldn't do in Brisbane. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I could, but it would have taken a day and a half. Um, th- once I could walk to a beach and... You know, there's the feeling of, oh, I'm out past the breakers. I've never swum this far out and I'm okay. And it's, yeah, I can float and it's fine. And, oh, there's a stingray in the sand below me. At first, it's like, what the fuck? And then it's like, oh, hey, buddy, what you doing? And yeah. once you start slowly, slowly building that up, um, it's a, there's a feeling and a sense of, of, of power and competency that comes with you when you leave the ocean. Um, yeah. yet at the same time, as that confidence grows, venturing out, body surfing mainly, I body surfed for years before I surfed, venturing out in bigger and bigger surf. And then as you mentioned, comes a day where you, oh, I think I'm in a bit of trouble here. And, um, there's, I'm 12 years sober now. And there's a great phrase I love, find humility before humility finds you. And to have humility, yeah. um, thrust upon me as, I don't know, a couple of hundred tons of angry seawater roiling and pushing me down and going, you might think you're all that cause you got this job on TV and shit, but, um, you're not breathing right now. 
and you won't be for a while and you're just going to have to be yeah. okay with that because there's fuck all you can do about it. That also leaves you the beach with you. 100%. And that's that minuscule kind of moment that you get where you're like, you know, I have this job, I have this relationship, I have this, I'm important in this area, but doesn't mean anything when you're out in nature because you can make one little mistake or you can kind of, yeah, not have that humility or not be trying to have that humility and, yeah, it can all kind of disappear. Or, you know, hopefully it doesn't disappear, but you just get a little reminder mm. that you can go, yeah, cool, you know, I've got 20 years ocean experience, but you're never going to dominate the ocean. The ocean's always going to dominate you. Over the course of, I guess, post-industrial um, revolution, um, changes to our lived environment, uh, they were noticed on land, but they were always like, oh, no, this environment's changed because we're using it, using it for farming or this environment's changed because, well, we have to burn this coal, you know, because we're powering these big cities and look at our quality of life. It's amazing. We're not living in mud huts. Life's fucking great. We've got clean water. There's food everywhere. It's incredible. So the changes to the the land environment were very obvious, but we kind of, you know, we just kind of accepted accepted them yet over time the kind of the leading uh i guess uh, i don't want to say alarm bells or, or red flags or or whatever have been signaled by people who spend a lot of time in the ocean i remember as a kid every saturday on channel seven watching jacques cousteau in his red beanie full fucking steve zuzu you know going the ocean is the lungs of our world yeah. and we are treating it like a garbage bin and this yeah. is in the 50s you know here's this yeah, yeah. french guy with a pipe burning diesel like fucking hang fanging around this you know this is the south coral seas going it is terrible what we are seeing in these remote locations like why do you think we have to wait for the ocean to tell us that things are bad. And when did you first start to notice changes? If you spend a lot of time in the ocean, you would start to notice changes quite subtly, surely. Yeah, for sure. Um, why do we have to wait for yeah. those reminders? We don't. But it's, it's, it's a lot easier because, um, you know, those, those kind of life or death, as dramatic as that sounds, those life and death moments in the ocean or on the running trails out in nature, they're the reminders that make everything in our lives disappear. And they say, hey, this is life. We can either live it, we can either move forward, or we can, you know, disappear with the earth. So you said that, um, yeah, spending time in the ocean, why do we need to wait to listen to these people? We don't need to wait. We definitely don't need to wait. And I think a lot of people are starting to learn that we don't have time to wait. But we do need to listen to these people that are spending time in the field because the field is what is teaching us these lessons, not, not the boardroom. Without a shadow of a doubt. And we're not talking listening to people who are, you know, you're, you run ultra trail runs, you run 100K races through the woods, uh, you're a surf photographer, you're an ocean photographer, you're out in the ocean all the time. You are kind of a fringe dweller of environmental in, in, you know, immersion. Yet when fishermen in the, you know, the big kind of, you know, PVC mega kind of day glow suits hauling shit off the, onto the decks of their trawlers down in Tasmania and going, kingfish? Fuck, I've, I've fished here for 50 years. I've never seen a kingfish. 
That's because the kingfish following the warm water that far south. Like, that's something we should fucking listen to, man. Yeah. And the problem is with that fisherman, they, they're aware of it, but these systems that we have in place, we're, we're waiting till the last possible moment yeah. to kind of turn these systems around because that's a difficult task. Um, but, yeah, my kind of argument or my message is always, what, is always that the far more difficult task is going to be surviving on earth. <laughs> yeah. We'll figure it out. It won't look like it looks now. Like we'll figure it out. It'll be very different, uh, but yeah. it doesn't have to be very different. And it could be pretty awesome if we, if if we sort it out. When it when it comes to uh, ocean pollution, though, as I started to spend more time in the water, I mean, fair enough. I was I was body surfing in the you know the most populous beach, the most populous city of, of the country. Um, so small bits of plastic and band aids and all kinds of shit would kind of float past all the time. But you know, in the course of my lifetime, that used to be human shit in the bay at Bondi Beach. When you were, you know, in the ocean and growing up and surfing, did you start to notice an increase in the floaties? Yeah, for sure. The floaties and the washer upperies on the sand at the tide line. I started off shooting surf photography and while I was doing that, um, I was doing a lot of really close-up detailed stuff, like just doc documenting shapes and textures that I was noticing. Um, and so I've kind of, I, I did that for about oh, five or six years. And so I was spending my life when I wasn't shooting surf, I was spending my life like this, you know, looking at the close details. And this was on Victorian beaches because I, I am originally from Victoria. And I just don't remember seeing many microplastics or microfibers or, you know, bits of rubbish washed up. There definitely was some, but I don't remember seeing it anywhere near what I'm seeing today. And granted, you know, I'm working in an industry now which is all about noticing rubbish in the water and, you know, doing something about it. Um, but, yeah, like I said, I've always been kind of looking like this and over my lifetime the increase has been huge for sure. I had a – I definitely – Remember, there was a moment for me where it really, really hit. It was 2015. We were shooting uh, the finale of The Bachelor. We were in Thailand in a part of the country where there's like, it's kind of like an archipelago. There's lots of tiny little islands everywhere and bits of rock, kind of these fabulous kind of limestone shards of, of, of rock that shoot up out of, the, out of the water. And we were shooting an opener, like, yeah. welcome to The Bachelor. We were shooting one of them. Uh, but the weather was shit, so we never used it. But uh, it was this kind of long, drawn out, uh, like a coral K, uh, sorry, a sandbar, basically a sandbar with a little bit of grass and a tree on it. You know, it was it was that look. We were looking for the big mm -hmm. drone shot of like welcome to tropical Thailand, and we we're a long way from anywhere. All right, there was a probably the nearest. It was a good half hour boat ride out there or something. And I remember walking along the the you know as it gets sharper and sharper and sharper, you can see the high tide marks where all the kind of sticks and debris and stuff have kind of landed, and I'm looking down. I'm in Thailand, mind you, and I saw a shampoo bottle with Arabic writing. Yeah. And then just I can't tell you how many bottle lids and, and stuff like that. And just it suddenly hit me in my brain. It's like that shampoo bottle came off a production line. There was probably 20,000 like it made that day. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> What's it doing here? Yeah. Fuck. Why do we need... I mean, we, what, what's, the, what's the simple way that you can explain to people 
we've all heard about microplastics in the ocean and plastics in the ocean. Why is this something that we need to take so seriously and so immediately? Yeah, well, that's that example you just said is is a good one because it's um you know you're finding rubbish in in Thailand from somewhere that's you know a long way away. So what that shows is that like you know people in Australia we might think that we're really lucky we have really clean water, but we're all sharing the same ocean and we're all sharing the same rubbish and we're all doing the same damage to the same ocean. So it's definitely a, an everyone problem and it's something that Australia is definitely lagging on and kind of, you know, kicking and streaming and screaming towards the, you know, the end goal of, of being kind to the planet. Um, but, yeah, that example you just said, like as soon as I hear that, I think data. Um, I work for CBIN, who are an ocean cleanup group, and we have these devices, an Australian invention called a CBIN, which is about the size of a wheelie bin. It's got a pump on the bottom, and it basically filters water 24-7, and it sucks in rubbish. It skims the top one centimetre of water. So we've got 1,000 worldwide in 37 countries, and the highest concentration of them is in Sydney Harbour. We've got about 40 units in the harbour, and we definitely argue against the fact that we're an ocean cleanup group because the concept of cleaning up is false. You're never going to clean up. Um, so, yeah, we're data-driven. And that example you just said, we, you know, have a really obvious way of measuring that and it's with parking tickets. And we can pull parking tickets out of Darling Harbour that are from, we pulled one out that's from Wollongong. And, Holy shit. And maybe that one was driven by a car. Yeah, yeah. maybe that one was, you know, attached to a windscreen, I'll give you that. But um, what we're finding is we're getting these parking tickets. They've got City of Sydney written on them so we know whose rubbish they are. They're made out of plastic and they've got the data printed on them. We don't even have to do the work. So yeah. all we're doing is tracing the stormwater to where the stormwater is spitting out near the unit and we're finding out, oh, the one in Darling Harbour came from Bondi. It's coming from stormwater from city streets. Why would someone who doesn't have a, a food connection to the ocean or an emotional connection to the ocean, like yourself, like myself, like, maybe like someone like your dad, why should he care about rubbish in the ocean? Yeah, well, this is what it all comes down to. It all comes down to motivation, right? Us humans, we put our effort into things that excite us, captivate us, motivate us, and, you know, things that are going to affect us directly and things that are going to affect people we love. Um, so, yeah, the ocean, that example, if you don't eat fish, I don't eat fish. I don't um, eat anything out of the ocean, but I freaking love going to the beach with my three-year-old boy. I love surfing. I love swimming in the water. I love how you can have the craziest day of your life and you can just jump in the water and everything's instantly fine. And I also love the fact that a lot of my friends love that. A lot of my family love that. Um, so, yeah, there's heaps of motivation for me. So everyone's just got to find their motivation, right, because motivation is what gets us out of bed and gets us caring about things. Well, I mean, because we could talk about the microplastics in the food supply that are ending up in humans. We could talk about bits of plastic at the bottom of the marinara trench, but that's all a bit, it's a bit too giant to even think yeah. about, isn't it? Let's not do that. Uh, we can we can talk about science. We can talk about data. Um, you know, our government does that. Our government can bring up science and data that 
proves that climate change isn't a real thing. You can you can do whatever you want with numbers and and conversation, but I'm all about passion and living by example and just being freaking excited to be in the ocean or out in nature and inspiring other people to, you know, come and join me and they get excited and then they fall in love with it and want to protect it. People listening may be a a little horrified to find out that a parking ticket that maybe flooded out of the window of their car uh, ended up in one of your sea bins. How can we make sure that you're never able to trace anything back to us. I'm not saying how can we d- dispose of it. And, like I'm not saying how, how can we get away with it. It's like how can we avoid having our stuff ever turn up in one of your sea bins? Well, first of all, I think I think that's incredibly difficult, and I also think it's it's hard to find motivation for that because it's another big problem. But I honestly think just bringing awareness to the fact that there is rubbish in Sydney Harbour and and how it's getting there, and the fact that you think it's bad. Um, a lot of people come up to me day to day when I'm working in Sydney Harbour and say, what are you, what are you doing? Sydney Harbour's spotless. It's super clean. And then, you know, I tell them that we pulled out 16 tonnes of rubbish in 12 months and, you know, every unit in the harbour pulls out an average of four or five kilos every 24 hours and they're just like, whoa. So, yeah, I don't think that, you know, prevention's got to come from the top down. Prevention's not about you and I. Um, but what we can do, just like all the big issues going on in the world today, we can, we can inspire other people to have the knowledge that it's going on and to want to change it with their voice. What would you like to say about when we start to see, oh, it's on you, it's your personal choice versus an upstream uh, top-down solution? Yeah, well, I, th- I think any government saying that, it's, it's just, yeah, obviously crazy talk and I would hope that people would would know that they personally cannot solve a problem that comes down to the government actually changing the systems that we live by. Um, but, and careful of this one, Osha, because I know you're a massive fan of bicycles, which I am too, um, but riding your bike to work, for example, is an amazing thing to do and I definitely don't want to, you know, have people how people's vibe be killed and not do that, but it's obviously not going to shrink the hole in the ozone layer, right? What's going to shrink the hole in the ozone layer and stop the globe heating at the rate that it is, is more electric cars, um, burning less fossil fuels. And more, bi- more cycling infrastructure, dedicated cycling infrastructure. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Full disclosure, I'm on the board of WeRide and that's basically what we do. <laughs> we just push, we're a government face it. We're kind of push for, um, we, we push for like ded- bums on bikes. We're pushing for like pushing for dedicated cycling infrastructure is is the thing that changes everything. Um, it's like saying, oh, we want everybody to catch a train to work, um, but you got to build around train track. Ah, I don't know. <laughs> You know, but but you, but you're absolutely right. There's a point where the personal choice stops. I mean, and look, a great example is we did it with smoking. Uh, you know, smoking. We try to make it a personal choice. No, it's up to you to stop. And then actually, no, the the ability to stop is beyond anyone who's addicted. They actually can't. So here's financial incentive by taxing the shit out of it. Uh, here's you know we you know just doing everything possible from the top down without banning the product. Uh, to make it like these gigantic barriers 
to entry. Do you see that as an intervention that might work, Tom? Yeah, for sure. Any Anything from the top down. Um, people are whether they, you know, like to be or don't like to be. I mean, I don't like the idea of it, but people, whether they like it or not, are under a certain amount of control um, from the government. Um, and we have a certain amount of control over the government as well as, you know, voters and taxpayers. Um, but, yeah, basically anything big that's happening within our systems in society it can't be left up to society. It is, it is left up to the government. But it's society's role to put pressure on the government. And I think we see that so much these days, like with the rise of social media. People just have the ability to pull their phone out and straight away put pressure on the government and other people to join with them. Um, and the cycling example, you know, what they've done in Amsterdam with bikes, like there's no reason why we couldn't do that in Sydney. Like in, in Sydney, it makes sense. I mean, it's quite hilly, obviously, so we'd need gears. We wouldn't be able to ride fixies all the time. Um, but like there's traffic everywhere and, and it's, it's, it's a small city. So it's, it's just systems and it's getting the tick of approval and it's that board you on getting funding from the government and the government saying this is something we want to do and then you guys will do it. An election is not far away, Tom. What is some kind of policy that you would like to have people look out for in their local MP around um, kind of uh, uh, plastics and, and plastic use in Australia? Uh, I think I think working closely with you know the big the big polluters, or I, I don't really want to call them polluters because again they're controlled by the system, but the big businesses that are creating these products, which we all use, which are wrapped in this material that's ending up in the ocean. Um, you know, the Coca-Colas, the Nestle's, those sort of businesses. I know because I, I interact with these businesses, I know that they're working on these systems, but they're doing it themselves using their own money and their own infrastructure, which means that they can't, they can't roll it out. Um, Nestle made a Kit Kat out of 100% recycled plastic, N- not recycled plastic, but just recycled Kit Kat packets. Right. Um, so not putting anything else into the system. And it, it worked, but they could only do a, a prototype, a small batch, because, you know, it was self-funded. Coca-Cola have an amazing sustainability department. Uh, they work with us at Seabin, um, and they're investing a lot of money into research, but they can't, they can't roll it out because these systems are in place and it's impossible for them to do it without the support of the government. I definitely think that uh, climate change is, has got to be the big, the big conversation in this election. And, you know, what's the latest they're saying? Net zero by 2050. I, um, I went to a panel discussion recently at the Australian National Maritime Museum and there was three incredible scientists there who said net zero by 2050 and we will not make it. Net zero by 2030, we have a chance. So I want to see net zero by 2030. Um, I want to see our government stand up and be noticed in the world for doing something good because at the moment Australia is getting noticed in the world for not doing anything. So that's my number one. And my number two will be working with big business to, to come up with a solution. We, we, we are constantly told about where our emissions are compared to other countries. 
However, do not forget the other countries we are comparing ourselves to are burning the coal that comes out of our ground. I think it's something colossal. Like if you look at what our, how our coal from our, our, our land, how our coal contributes to the, the global amount of uh, CO2 output, it's, it's somewhere near 20%. It's fucking gigantic, all right? But who are we then? Are we, um, are we uh, Dickie from uh, 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 The Night Manager? was like, mate, I just sell the weapons. I don't shoot them. You know, are we, you know, putting our hands in there going, hey, man, it's not, we're not the one burning it. Um, we need to take responsibility. We need to accept that the incredible life we have has been due to this and we can keep this incredible life. In fact, it can be even more incredible if we find a way to export that energy in a different way. And there's plenty of ways to do it. Uh, the second thing you were saying, and this is really interesting, it is such a colossal problem. But Tom, if you can get the head honchos of PepsiCo, Coca-Cola, Unilever, uh, I don't know, Ikea, who make 14 billion things a year. You get those four people over the line, that's a huge, huge result. That's like four meetings you could do it in. Yeah, for sure. And unfortunately it works for, um, you know, the top decision makers in our country to not only put it on the community but also put it on those businesses. So a lot of people now speak negatively about Coca-Cola because they're, products are washing up on the beach but um i think that that's just a real get out of jail free card and i all these businesses do want to um do the right thing um they're human beings they don't want the world to come to an end they many of them live in sydney and they go to the beach they don't want to see their products washing up on the beach um but yeah they just need help from the government. Kind of, like the only thing worse than seeing a Coca-Cola bottle washing up on the beach is that if you are an account manager of Coca-Cola with your kids out for the day and they go, hey, Dad, and you go, yeah, I know. Like that would be the worst. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, it was slightly controversial, but Sevin um, joined forces with Coca-Cola. They come, came on board as a sponsor um, of our Sydney Harbour pilot program. And... I took two executives down to one of our units at Jones Bay Wharf in Piermont and it, I could not have set it up any better but we walked down to the unit and looked in the water and there's two Coca-Cola bottles just bobbing in the water, get sucked into the unit. And these two execs instantly pulled out their phones, took a video, bang, group chat to the whole Australian business and then a week later they were giving us money. So there's, there's, there's good vibes there and there's good people and they're human beings. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think demon, demonising these companies because their products are washing up is just, it's not, it's not the most streamlined way forward. The most streamlined way forward is we're all human. How do we work together to move forward? Uh, it, it, but it's, it's easy. It's easy to go, oh, big plastic, big ag, big pharma, big whoever. It's a five-word sentence and you feel right. But it's, it's, not, it's not that simple. It's the system that we're all, all stuck in. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to you on a camera that is made of plastic and came from another country. It was flown here. Like this is, you know, my entire life is possible because of the system that uh, and the incredible life that I have and the health that I have and my family has and the food supply we have is because of this system. But it doesn't mean that this system cannot be made more efficient and less damaging uh, over time. We've talked a lot about the ocean, but you also spend a huge amount of time out in nature, particularly um, with with trail running. Uh, 
We spoke about the humility that comes from being held underwater by a gigantic southeasterly swell. Uh, tell me about the humility that comes upon you when you are at, I don't know, it's I don't know, it's at like 11 p.m. and you're on K75 with another 25 to go and your headlamp's running out of batteries and you can't see the trail because you're, you're seeing ghost runners in front of you. What, what, what is that like? Well, first of all, that literally gave me goosebumps on the back of the net because it gets me so excited. I've read a lot of running books. I'm like <laughs> that picture you just painted. I'm quite a get... I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of people's reaction to that picture you just painted would be gross or that sucks or you're crazy or why are you doing that? Um, but I think all of those statements are defence mechanisms because people are quite scared to access that inner part of themselves that is only accessible when you're in a really, really challenging situation. Um, And that's what ultra running is. It puts you in these situations which are just so far beyond what you think you're capable of. And not only are you in these situations, but you, you put yourself in them. Like you drive your car there or ride your bike and you enter the trail and then you're gone. You're miles away from where any ambulance can reach you. You're by yourself. It's raining. It's dark. Your headlamp runs out. Your like survival mechanism is all that you have. And what that allows you to do is access a part of you which is not really accessed in day-to-day life. And when you can kind of draw from that inner part of yourself that you just had no idea was there and access it and use it to your advantage and then get out of that situation, go home, go to bed, wake up the next morning, you're presented with a really horrible situation in your life. Something goes really bad in a relationship. You lose your job, something terrible, and and you're like, hang on. I reckon I, can, I reckon I can handle this because I went through that yesterday and I put myself in that situation and I've just trained my, my mind to be able to deal with things like this. To, to be with the discomfort, to be with the uncertainty and to trust that it, it, it won't stop. You'll be, all, you'll be all right. As long as you, you keep upright and hydrated and have some food, you'll, be, you'll, you'll figure out the problem. I have this kind of wild theory that... Uh, particularly men go into ultra running or you know push into like the more extreme ends of of marathon i want to get a sub 3 or sub 2 marathon cuz they'll never go through childbirth they won't ever have the chance to access that cuz i watched my wife and and you've yeah. witnessed childbirth i'm sure i watched yeah. her do that i'm like oh right okay you and this is the second time she did it i'm like you know she's had it we've got two kids I'm like, you know in your heart for the rest of your days that you can face the most unbelievable pain, discomfort, wanting to get out of there and you are going to be okay. As a man, I'll never know that, which is maybe that's why I was like, no, I'm going to fucking ride my bike for 100 miles and in the mountains of Utah and just keep fucking going. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. What do you reckon? Like, is that is that why men do it? Yeah. Yeah, well, maybe. I mean, childbirth blew my mind. Like, I never thought I would, 
I never thought I would think of it being such a beautiful thing to watch. Like, you know, I, I definitely wasn't the guy that was like, oh, gross, but I, I thought that I was the guy that may need to sit down because I was getting lightheaded. Um, it's the most incredible thing I've ever seen and, and just the whole labour and what they can do. Yeah, like we can't, we can't do that physically, but, um, you know, I, I bet a lot of women think they can't do that and they can't. And um, it, it goes back to this saying that in the ultra running community, it's called the 40% rule. Everyone always talks about it. And it's, it's when you've got absolutely nothing left, right? You're completely broken beyond any horrible situation you've ever been in. You can't move. You still have 40% left. And I, I think that that's such an incredible rule because it is undeniably true. Our um, expectations or our own perceived ability is um, it's, it's really nowhere near what we can do. And when we see someone do something absolutely incredible, our first uh, thing to do is to look at ourselves and a lot of us will say, oh, that person's a freak, I can't do that. But I really think the reason we do that is because we want to let ourselves off the hook and we want to live a life that is, is comfortable and, and easy and similar to everyone else. Um, so, yeah, ultra running, it, it gives you this special ability to say, to constantly say, no, I have 40% left. And then when you burn through that 40%, oh, wow, I just found another 40%. I, I I know I know exactly what you're talking about. I never ran more than a marathon, but I've certainly pushed myself to paces and in terrain that I've I've been there. And before I knew what you're talking about, before I had seen the other side, before I recognised that my body sets off alarm clocks well before any damage is going to get done. Yeah, I was like, okay, that's just my body saying, hey, hey, just letting you know. When we normally we're trying to stop before, but if you have learned enough about recovery and nutrition and if you've learned enough about, you know, how to heal after or something like that or, or preparation for that, you'd be like, yeah, I appreciate that body. I know that and I know that, you know, tonight we'll have a nice nice cool bath and we'll have a good old stretch and we'll sit down and we'll watch a couple of episodes of this or that. I'll eat a fuck ton of calories. I'll wake up tomorrow and it'll be sweet. Um, is, yeah, it, and it's all it's all headspace, and, I, and I'm sure those things helped you, and I'm sure those things help you when you're standing in a boardroom with executives at Coca Cola asking them to, you know, help you with this problem. Hundred percent, yeah. All all of that work you do on the trail helps you, but but also like you just touched on it, and and there's a guy, um, an Australian runner from Victoria called Bo Miles. Um, he's kind of known as the outdoor adventurer, and. He just does, he's got a YouTube channel. He does these epic missions. And a lot of people, when they do these huge runs, they get negative. Um, it's really hard not to. Um, I do as well. But he has this way of summing it up, which, which relates to not only running but just life. Like people have to realise that you're going through some shit. It's really hard. But at the end of the day, you're a privileged white person and you can go home at the end of the day and have a nice cup of tea and go to bed. It's a pretty good reframe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's I tell myself that when I'm getting negative. It's like, dude, you're choosing to be out here. You're doing something that's fun. You're not at work right now. You're not 
um, you know, suffering from slave labour in the, in the fast fashion industry. There's nothing really wrong with you physically. Um, you've got people that love you. Like, there's just so much positive stuff. And if you can't find that positive stuff, then just go home and sit on the couch and watch TV and have a cold glass of water. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember um, the when it came upon me it was actually I was uh, there was this place that I used to run I lived in America for about 10 years and I would run along this trail which would take you it was above it was on the mountains between I guess Malibu and what they call the valley there's a mountain ridge that runs between them and there was a ridge that goes up to an old um, uh, Cold War era uh, missile site which was designed to shoot down Russian bombers and conveniently it was um, it was 13 miles about 13 k's from the car park to the site so yeah. it was like a you know an easy an easy half and yeah. it was you know undulating trail it was oh, it was fucking rad and i'm riding on this tra- this trail one day and i'm like oh the decision that's counting in my head right now going you've got to stop you've got to stop you've got to stop that's just a thought and i can change my mind and then five steps later i was all that pain just vanished. I was like, wow, that's pretty wild. The yep. pain was there and the agony was there and my breathing was laboured and my posture was shit. Yet all I did was change my mind about what I was feeling and, oh, and I had a great run that day. Yep. And I, I found that, to me, that was a thing. That's the thing I carry with me. I carry. I use it today, you know, when I'm dealing with this um, chronic pain scenario in my, in my hip. You mentioned fashion before. What got you so inspired around how our clothes are made, how homewares are made, how toothbrushes are made, that you went, nah, I need to give people an option. I'm going to open a shop. Uh, <laughs> what happened there? Uh, I guess it was, um, I guess it was just, yeah, sort of the start of my environmental journey and talking about what, you know, everyday people can do. I was kind of going through the shopping list in my head. I, I, started with the reusable coffee cup which is where everyone kind of starts and then I just I just wanted to keep it simple and I just started you know oh what am I wearing here what's what's this oh look at the tag what's it made out of oh polyester what's polyester just going down that kind of rabbit hole which was a very easy rabbit hole it's not like a crazy lifelong dedicated mission before you can buy one t-shirt um I just, you know, discovered really quickly that organic cotton is better than conventional cotton. Um, and then I discovered that, oh, maybe recycled cotton is better than organic cotton or conventional cotton. And just going on that kind of journey. And then, you know, you're doing the dishes at home. You're using a, a, a brush to wash your, your plates after dinner and you're like, well, oh, I wonder what this is made out of. And then as I went down the rabbit hole, I was working with my business partner, Nikki, who's also my ex-wife and just one of the most important people in my life. And she was saying, look, we need, we need to do something about this. We need to create a business that provides these options under one roof so people don't need to do all the Googling and open all the tabs and go to all the physical stores. We need to do it for men and women because often men are left out of this discussion in the fashion industry. Yeah. Yeah. 
even even now um, at Blackstore, it's it's like we have about four men's brands, and we're constantly scouring the world and learning more about up and coming brands. And it's like that's pretty much our criteria is very strict, but that's pretty much it right now for men. What are the what are the criteria that uh, a product has to pass to for you to carry it? We now call it responsible fashion. No one's really using the term sustainable fashion because it's kind of a null term because the only truly sustainable fashion is if we're walking around in the nude. Um, it's like the concept of, of, you know, ocean cleaner. It's like too big, not really possible. So, um, yeah, calling it responsible fashion, uh, it's got to be good quality like that is that is number one it's got to last it's there's no point if it ticks all the boxes of the fabrication and it's made by happy people getting paid a living wage in good working conditions um none of that matters if it's not going to last and the other one that sort of in the rise of responsible fashion was forgotten is it's got to be like it's got to be stylish and it's got to appeal to the majority of the population that was one of the things that was important to us at Blackstore. We didn't want to have everything made out of hemp and it's really itchy and you've got to wear fisherman pants or like a big sack. We just want to make clothing that just, sorry, we just want to provide clothing and products that just looks like what everyone else is making. We think it's slightly better, but it just looks like what everyone else is making. But it's also really good for the planet and it's good for the customer because they save money in the long run. Where am I going to get my Dave Rastovich uniform, though? I need, really... to, <laughs> I need to get my Dave Rastovich uniform from somewhere, man. Come on. I've got it. Where's my floppy hat? Where's my floppy hat and billowy trousers? Yeah, and Rasta rocks that look. And, I mean, he's, he's working with Patagonia now, so he's, he's looks slightly more elevated, <laughs> yeah. but he, he can run that and he looks super cool running that. You, you mentioned Patagonia. I, I heard the CEO of Patagonia speak, and you know, for for, for people don't, who don't know, they are, they are one clothing company who are trying real hard. They're trying real hard within the system that they exist in to do uh, to do the right thing. If everyone people may not be able to you know shop at Blackstore for, for various reasons, but what what can people look for in their own you know clothing choices, particularly around kids when we'll we'll literally wear something for four weeks and like oh okay. You know, because it's calories in, baby bigger. Ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Science. Yeah. Well, how can people look for things? But and at the same time, mate, I can I can spend ten minutes in Target and get everything I need, and that convenience. Yeah, you know, if I don't think about where it came from, or how it got to Australia, or what it's made out of, I can be done and home again, feeding a cranky baby. Like, where's the? How 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 do you balance that stuff? Yeah, well, that's that's it, balance, right? Like everyone's always looking for balance and the kind of uh, the booby trap with the whole balance thing is I don't think you ever really find balance, but it's it's about trying to find it. So I would never say to someone, you know, screw your cranky baby, you know, travel to Manly and go shopping at Blackstore in person because you'll get the best customer experience. I would say go to Target and go home and, stick a dummy in your baby's mouth and, you know, get some good food on the table. But it's just all about, yeah, having that little, that little thought in your mind before, before you do anything in life, basically, before you fill up the car with petrol, before you even walk out the door with the car keys. Can I, can I just ride my bike? 
do I need to fill up with petrol? Um, I'm in Target. Do I need to buy 100 things or can I just buy like two T-shirts because I need them really quickly for tomorrow and then I'll have some time to do some research to buy something that's good quality, the people that made it are happy and it's going to last a lot longer. It's just about having that, that little moment because the world is so convenient for us and, you know, the systems and our shopping habits, they've been made to be convenient so that we buy and we're, you know, impulsive. But just saying, stop, let's just think for one minute. Yeah, okay. Um, I, like, I'm the first person to say I'm a walking contradiction. I've definitely bought T-shirts from Target. I'm, I'm a human being. Absolutely no one is perfect um, and it's going to be impossible for us all to be perfect until the decision makers change all these systems and make them the way that we have to do things. But, yeah, just, just making sure you stop and you say, all right, just one second, think, and then you make your decision. I think that's that's the best thing we can all do. The, the, it's great and it's, it's really great advice. And I know this from my own, um, you know, journey of, of being someone who doesn't eat animal products and I haven't done for like 20 years or something. Though the the people who do eat animal products, yeah. Well, what are, your, what are your shoes made of when you're on The Bachelor? Like, well, like I, I don't know how to, you know, to, to just count, the overarching gigantic goal of me trying to minimise my personal impact by not participating in animal agriculture um, for food uh, to completely make that vanish in a puff of smoke because of a pair of borrowed shoes that I wore on a show one time doesn't make sense to me and it's an easy it's an it's an easy it's like popping a balloon it's like it's it's an easy thing but it I, I don't think that argument really really holds up and I would I just like to underscore what you were saying like just just try to be more aware of it because over time that stuff grows and grows to the point where you're like you know what I feel strongly enough about this that when it, we're coming up to an election it's going to happen very soon I'm I'm going to write a letter to my MP I'm going to ask my MP about what where they stand on net zero because as you mentioned before if you know and I you know I'm not the first person to say this energy if we start with energy policy if we make certain forms of energy more expensive than others, and they already are, but for some reason we support them still with their tax dollars, then manufacturing changes. Manufacturing changes, um, the input and output products changes. The output products changes, the waste stream changes. What I bring home to my grocery bag changes. And then, you know, that's, that's the kind of effects that we're talking about here, isn't it, Tom? Yeah. Act local, act, act local think global. The other one that comes to mind, uh, you mentioned the Patagonia founder, Yvonne Chouinard. He's got a great quote, which I always think about, which is, to do good, you actually have to do something. So your example of, um, you know, what you consume, what you eat, um, I share your beliefs, but, and I share them with other people that, you know, don't eat the same way as me, but I, I, don't, I don't share it in a way that, hey, you're you're approaching this like pretty aggressively because you don't want me to take your animal products away from you, but that's not what I'm doing. I'm just telling you why I do it and I'm showing you that I'm so passionate about it and I'm so amped and I just love talking about it. I'm not doing it to change your mind. I'm just doing it because I freaking love it. Actually, and it feels really good. And I guess another another way that that can look is I have an electric motorbike and it goes very fucking fast. 
and it's really fucking fun. And I'm doing everything I can. I'm doing everything I can to get as many as many motorbike guys I know, guys and girls I know, to get on this motorbike. Once you twist that throttle and take off like a spaceship and come back around to my house and I see the look on your face, I'm like, see, you don't give a shit what made that bike go. You just like the fact that it goes. It doesn't matter what makes us get from here to there, you know, and if, what, if those electrons are made here in Australia, fun, fucking amazing, you know, and, and, and that's, that, that, that's the thing. Like it, it, I'm not saying that you are going to starve, but there's different ways that you can get your caloric, you know, you can, you, you can build muscle by eating meat. I am a testament to that. Uh, there's many people that do it way better than me because they've got more time and probably more dedication than I do. Um, you know, I'm not saying you can't have your steaks and you can't get swole. There's other ways to do that. Um, you, can, you can do exactly what you want to do and slightly differently and it's going to be fine. And if you could do it slightly better in a way that means that your kids, my kids, their kids and their kids will still have air uh, <laughs> to breathe and, and not a, 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 you know, a, a summertime that will kill half a city in a heat wave, then isn't that a good thing, Tom? It sure is. It's a uh, definitely an added bonus, the fact that we get to be alive. Yeah, it's fucking wild, right? Not only is it economically the best thing to do, but hey, you know what happens at the end of it? We all get to get old and not die in fire <laughs> while drowning in storm yeah. surges. And maybe our kids too. <laughs> okay, so we'll be back with Tom Petrini in just a moment. You can donate to his Run Forever adventure through the link in the show notes. Uh, in the show notes, I should say. Uh, oh, yeah, the first video episode is up now on YouTube. Kylie Tink from a couple of weeks ago. The video's ready and uh, just search Better Than Yesterday on YouTube and you'll, you'll find, or if you search Osher Better Than Yesterday, you'll find it. And there are ad-free episodes of this podcast if you want to listen to them. As a thank you for supporting the show on Patreon, you get an ad-free feed. Patreon.com slash Osher. Monday and Friday shows are there. No ads, all yours as a big thank you from us to you for being a part of the show and, and supporting the show. But this is a version that does have ads. So here's some ads. And when we come back from paying the bills, we'll hear more from Tom Petruni and his extraordinarily long run. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, 
I guess what's kind of interesting, and I, you know, for, for people to get around what you're doing, I could say go to Blackstore, I could say support CBIN and or support the other things you're doing, go visit your photography or something like something, something, something. But you're combining your ability to just keep, you know, just running forever uh, <laughs> with your love of the uh, of the of the ocean and and, and the water, and uh, you're doing a really, really, really long run, aren't you, mate? Really, really long. Yeah, like forever. I had this idea one morning in the shower, which is where I have my really good ideas, and I was like, I want to do a fundraising run. I've never done one. Um, I feel like they're just kind of never done well, like the fundraising part's just like a tack-on. And I wanted to, yeah, combine everything that has had such a positive influence on my life, which is people the ocean and nature and my life has kind of reached a point where everything I'm passionate about is merging into one where I've got the business at Blackstore, I've got the day job at Seabin and I've got the running. Um, so Project Run Forever on the 8th of April was the idea that came into my mind and judging by the name you might be able to tell I'm going to run 10 kilometre loops around Manly Dam which is a pretty challenging trail run just five minutes from my front door i'm going to run 10 kilometer loops and i'm going to live fundraise as i go through raisley which is an online platform and if someone donates a dollar i'll run another 10 kilometer loop if someone donates ten thousand dollars i'll still run one ten one more 10 kilometer loop i'm going to keep going if the donations keep going and i'm going to see how long i can run for so hang on a sec. So if people are watching this and say you've been there and it's 2 a.m. and you're down to a walk, people are pacing you, um, people are feeding you, you've been up, you've been doing 21 hours of running um, and someone just tunes in, it's 2 a.m., they're going, oh, fuck, it's, it's morning time in, you know, uh, you know uh, Nigeria. I'm going to throw 100 bucks at this guy. You'll do 10 more Ks? <laughs> yeah. Add, add to that, Tom... I'm not walking because it's not called Project Walk Forever. It's called Project Run Forever. Oh. But I'm live on Instagram and I'm crying and I'm begging for someone to just throw in a dollar so I can do one more lap. And old mate in Nigeria slaps down 100 bucks. I'll go again. That is a st- how do you even prepare for that? How do you what are you what are you telling the people who are crewing for you? Because on on a run like this, you need people crewing. You need people working on nutrition and hydration and and your foot health. And you know blisters can fuck you up on a on a school excursion. You wait till you run for you know twenty something hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot. There's a lot that can go wrong and will go wrong and will constantly be going wrong and we'll just be troubleshooting. So I've got an incredible team. Um, my crew chief, Dan Price, who's an experienced ultra runner, mental health ambassador for Movember, one of the toughest guys I know. Tough because um, he knows when to be weak and ask for help and tough because um, some of the things I've seen him do physically and mentally are unbelievable. And Jace Cronshaw or Coach Cronshaw, who's a, a bit of a famous name in the ultra running community from the eastern suburbs, um, they will be looking after me with about three other people and then I'll have about 10 paces running with me. So, yeah, they'll be looking after me. I'll have an aid station set up and we will just have a ver- very militant system um, where I'm getting in all the nutrition and hydration 
Uh, I'm giving them as much information as I can about how things are going and, yeah, the whole team is just working on building momentum behind me so the running is as easy as possible and I can go for as long as I physically can. I've never dealt with the, um, the sleep deprivation side of it. I've never run for a full day and then through a full night. Um, I'm hoping to go full day through the night and then one more full day at least. So that's going to be interesting. And the plan is I usually, my normal bedtime is about 9 p.m. So the plan is go down for a nap at 9 p.m., a long nap, which will be 20 minutes. And then from there we'll just, if I get told I look like shit, I'll be going down for a five-minute nap. If people are listening and they are like, yeah, I, I like to run, that sounds like something I can get behind. Are, are you accepting people from like to come and run with you, do a couple laps? Yeah, for sure. And the response so far has been incredible. I mean, we've just been doing our own marketing mainly through my Instagram account, which is at TV Photog. Um, but I've been going on training runs around Manly Dam at, you know, in the dark at 4am in the morning and I'll hear someone scream out, scream out, project run forever, let's go. So the public have just been getting behind it, which is just incredible. And I want to make this a really public event. Like we've all gone through COVID. Yes, it's still around, but, um, you know, we're allowed to do this. We're allowed to interact with each other. So it's yeah. all cleared with Northern Beaches Council and we've got a huge area at Manly Dam um, and I encourage absolutely anyone to come down, runner or not, um, bring the family down. There's a playground, there's parking, there's facilities, there's a huge grassy area. We're going to have an event site with coffee and food and the event site right there will be my aid station. So everyone will be able to, you know, come and chat to me at least every hour, hour and a half when I complete a 10K loop. And... Um, yeah, just get everyone together um, to celebrate community, the outdoors, and um, have some really important discussions about why we need to get together and protect nature. Just a nerdy running question: When you, when yeah. the the idea basically, when when you do endurance running, the idea is to figure out a pace that you can comfortably sustain, and then, in the words of Rich Roll, the person who wins the race isn't the fastest; it's the person who slows down the least. All right. Yeah. So, yeah. What pace? What pace are you hoping to kind of get around? So I know that like a very comfortable pace for me is six-minute pace on this course, um, so a 10K lap in an hour. That's very comfortable. It's comfortable over about 50Ks. Um, I won't be running more than 50Ks in my training block in one run. Um, so the, the plan is probably to start off at that pace i'm going to be pretty excited at the start there's going to be adrenaline and you just have to know that that's going to be there so i reckon the first lap or two i'll do at that pace and then after 20k there will be a conscious move to slow it down um but the other thing i will be doing is not running any of the hills after about 20k um yeah, when you're doing really long runs, the hills are just very counterproductive. Like you actually lose time because you slow down after them, obviously. Um, so, yeah, that's kind, of, that's kind of the plan. Mate, it's a huge endeavour and an extraordinary feat of endurance. Has anyone done anything like this before? Uh, I think 
the longest continuous run someone has done is like uh, six days or something. Um, Good Lord. I think I just Googled it. I'm definitely coming out and saying I'm going to run forever. Like I'm going to run forever. But um, I hope I'm not running six days later because that would be incredibly painful. And I would still find 40%, but, yeah, ouch. You would still find that 40%. Well, mate, um, that is, it is a huge feat. It is an absolutely huge feat to to even put in your mind and to enroll other people in, but to use it as a way to draw attention to the things that we've been speaking about, that's certainly going to get some eyeballs. And I, I certainly hope you get people who've, and it's not, not their fault to never think about whether your parking ticket has plastic on it or not. People have probably never thought about that before this conversation. That's, that's okay. It's not your fault. But for you to do a run like this, to start bringing awareness to things like that and the roles that, you know, the cumulative effect of millions of such little things having going into our environment out of the waste stream, um, it's it's super important and, and I reckon you're going to reach a, a whole ton of people. And, man, the superpowers you're going to unlock from doing this, mate, the rest of your life you'll be like far out, dude. You'll that'll be amazing. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, I want this to be a regular thing. Um, I spend so much time out there running and, yeah, it's really important for me to attach purpose to it outside of my own, um, you know, self-betterment, which is um, also selfless in a way. Um, but, yeah, attaching attaching the fundraising element and I'm raising money for Sebin, uh, who I, full disclosure, I do work for, but um, raising money for their foundation, which relies on donations um, which is, is going to pull plastic out of Sydney Harbour. And the other recipient is a, a sports activism group called For Wild Places who engage trail runners and outdoor enthusiasts. So the money that goes to them will allow them to um, push play on FWP camps where they invite young people out to nature and kind of arm them with knowledge with other um, kids interested in nature to go out to their communities and make, make change for the better. Mate, uh, what an incredible, incredible event. Uh, I certainly hope that I can get down there. I'm sorry I can't run with you, uh, but I'm so, I certainly hope I can get down there and, and, and high five or, or, or pass you a peanut butter and banana sandwich at some point when you're resting. <laughs> yeah, mate, I'd love to see you down there. And if not, we'll have to tee up for a run whenever you, your hip's feeling okay. It'll be soft sand. I'm cleared for soft sand. Can't do tarmac. I can do sand apparently. Or bicycles. Bicycles are also available to me. Yeah, cool. You know, I certainly hope people can, from this conversation, take a little bit of each of the the things we spoke about around their choices of what they buy for their clothing or the stuff around the house or, you know, just being willing to be with a little bit of physical discomfort just to discover that you might just have a, a bit more in the tank next time you're faced with a challenge that isn't a physical challenge. Like that's... You know, I'm glad, man, I've really enjoyed speaking with you today. It's been really good. Yeah, you too. And, yeah, everything we've spoken about, the physical discomfort, everything I've trialed in my life, that is by far the most special of all the special sauce. And I know that every morning when I wake up and I want a hot shower and I have a cold one, I, that's when I go, this is the special sauce in life, putting yourself in bad situations and going, oh, I handled that totally fine. Increasing our ability to be resilient, I think, is is a, a, an enormous thing that we can all take personal responsibility for. And discomfort may be a five-minute walk. You don't need to be doing 100Ks 
of a trail run through the Tasmanian wilderness with a busted headlamp, you know. You can just, five minutes may be the most you can manage. And if that's enough to push you into that small space of breathlessness and physical discomfort, then the adapt adaptation that you'll have not only within your body, within your brain, is something that you can build on. And then that's stuff that you can use next time, you know, Karen at HR is, <laughs> or Karen from accounts is being a drag. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like this stuff is is really useful uh, uh, when you're faced with challenges. Mate, I'm so stoked uh, to, to have a chat with you today. And I oh, wouldn't even talk about your photography, which is glorious. And I certainly hope people take their time to go and explore explore that and um and what it is to look at the world through a lens we'll have to talk about that we'll have to talk about that next time mate yeah sounds good thanks for having me and yeah epic chat mate really enjoyed it that was tom Batruni, and i certainly hope you've been inspired to explore what it is you're capable of but might not realize it yet and i'm not saying you're gonna have to run forever to get there like run 100 kilometers run even a marathon run a marathon i just just really hope that hearing someone describe what happens when you hang out on the other side of your perceived limits and what you gain access to i hope that's planted a few seeds that might help you unlock you know a few extra minutes on the treadmill or a few extra k's walking or just help you unlock some extra mental powers that you've got stashed away inside that you can then access the next time you you need them at at work or with the family. Friday morning, 7am, Tom is going to start running and he's going to keep running as long as people donate. The uh, donation link is in the show notes. Uh, Wednesday, we are back here revisiting my chat with Lola Berry and then I'm back on Friday to have a check-in and have a chat with you. Stay safe, stay dry. Massive thanks to everyone that helped me make this show. Andy Ma, my audio director, Bruce Steele on the research, Toe Hider on the music, and of course, the incredible Rachel Barrett, the executive producer of everything. She's amazing, and this show wouldn't be here without her. Thanks for being a part of it. Send us your email at gmail.com. If you like this show, please share it with someone. That's the best thing you can do for us here. Oh, yeah, besides supporting us on Patreon. That'd be really awesome. For like the price of a cup of coffee once a month, you get a free ad-free version of the show. So I hope you like that. Talk to you on Wednesday. Until then, sleep well and dream of beautiful things.